I am so excited for the IANA Expo conference that is happening in Long Beach this September. In last week's episode, I speak to Tom and Noel from IANA about what you can expect and why you should be there. Check it all out at letstalksupplychain.com forward slash season two dash episode 72. Welcome to Let's Talk Supply Chain. My name is Sarah Barnes-Humphrey, and each week I bring you the top supply chain professionals in the industry. You will learn about best practices, new innovation, and most up-to-date information about supply chain. I believe that collaboration is the future of business, and I have designed this show to ensure you have all the information you need to succeed in business and in your supply chain. This episode is brought to you by IANA. IANA represents the intermodal freight transportation industry. Every year they put on a massive event, Intermodal Expo, where the stakeholders, decision makers, and influencers of the intermodal supply chain gather. Expo is the place to be to make connections and advance your business. Expo will be held in Long Beach, California, September 15th through 18th, and I'll be attending and hope to see see you there. Register online today at intermodalexpo.com. Hello and welcome back to Let's Talk Supply Chain. I don't know if you have noticed or maybe it's just me and the universe is trying to tell me something, but I have been hearing more and more about sustainability, circular supply chain, ways to reduce waste in your supply chain and reusing materials we wouldn't even even think of in ways that probably wouldn't have crossed our minds until now. The innovation and creativity that are coming out of generations of professionals is inspiring, surprising, and it will only get better from here. A few weeks ago, I interviewed the CEO of TerraCycle in some exclusive content about how they are recycling the non-recyclable. Around that same time, I shared an article about using banana leaves instead of plastic packaging. And today, I'm going to introduce you to a whole new way of thinking about pallets. But first, let's get to listener's corner and the question of the week. So the question of the week is, how will Facebook's new announcement about crypto affect supply chains? Over on LinkedIn, the Let's Talk Supply Chain page, um, Alexander Marquez says, Facebook with this move will disrupt the way money transactions will be made. The only problem is how much trust this company has with the public after so many data breaches. And then over on Instagram, at Strominho10 says, I think Facebook's announcement will make more people outside the blockchain community aware of electronic currencies and if the world would get one commonly used currency. It will open up the industry for a lot of new services and perhaps even more new cooperations. Remember to join in on the conversation every single Wednesday on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you have a supply chain question, send it to me at listener at letstalksupplychain.com. I also have a new review over um, on iTunes about the show. I believe this comes from the UK. Some interesting topics, but the sound quality varies. It sounds like the presenter is in a mine shaft for standard shows, and some of the one-to-one -one discussions have terrible background noise. I hope this is treated as constructive advice because the show has great potential. Well, thank you so much for um, that review. I always love to get feedback. And the one thing that I'm going to say is when I interview guests, I can't really... You know, um, I can't really control 
what their background noise is going to be, as well as how their sound quality is going to be. So I have been working extremely hard on my sound quality, and I hope that you're seeing a difference. Plus, I want to make this show as authentic as possible. So there will be some background noise. Um, I don't edit the shows very much because I think that it focuses and features everyday lives of supply chain professionals. So thank you again for sending in that review. And I love all the comments and feedback. So when I say coconuts, what do you think about? Maybe water, milk, a bounty bar, or even a pallet. It might take some getting used to, but my guest today has found a way to make a pallet out of a coconut waste. And I can't wait to share their story with you because this could be the TSN turning point in sustainability for shipping products. Michael is a partner and founder of Coco Pallet. He is a serial entrepreneur specialized in the circular economy and bio-based products. Making impossible things possible is a skill he learned during his time in the army. He knows his way around in Asia, the Caribbean, and Middle East. Michael is the creative force behind the Coco Palette project, and Michael knows a whole lot about coconuts. In his spare time, Michael likes to run, read, and practice martial arts. So welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you for having me. Nice. Yeah, you and I met last May in Rotterdam. We were both exhibitors at an industry pitch event. I was there for ships. You were there for Coco Palette, and I saw your booth, and I it just compelled me to come over. I just love the concept and really enjoyed meeting you. So I'm really, really glad that we could make this happen today, um, because I think now is the time to bring Coco Palette to the industry. So let's get started and tell everybody the story behind Coco Palette. How did you come up with this palette, uh, this concept, and what exactly is it? Well, you know, I love coconuts. I, I used to live in the Caribbean and I had a co my own coconut trees. And so I always had some fascination with th this this beautiful tree and then the coconut. And, and um, actually, we were looking for something else when we stumbled upon a report at the university that said like the coconut tree, the, the coconut, the waste, it uh, has like glue and fiber inside. So it's like, it's a very valuable thing, but everybody's throwing it away or burning it. Then I thought like, wow, what could you make from it that really makes sense? And, uh, and then I concluded that the university, they, they, they made some panels and stuff. But I thought like they just came up with the wrong product. And uh, so, and as I import a lot of things from, from Asia, and mostly have very poor quality pallets that, that we receive and things are broken. And, uh, but then I realized, I never seen like a real forest in, in China or Vietnam. It's only bamboo and grass. And, and so I thought like, ah, that's when I connected the dots that the pellets were poor quality because they don't have so much wood. Right. <laughs> and then I thought like, oh, let's make some pellets with this coconut waste. And then the first two, three years, everybody said, yes, but that is not possible. <laughs> this is cannot be done. You have to add synthetic resin. You have to do this or that. And I thought like, yeah, right. You are all very smart and very experienced. And, but I think it can be done. So I just started out building machines. And, uh, and the first year it really looked, it wasn't indeed not possible and that everybody was right. But at the end, we were right. <laughs> we made the cocoa pellet. Oh, that <laughs> it was is not, amazing. And it was not the perfect one. And it, uh, it was a bit brittle and, uh, but then we thought, like, wow, 
this is amazing. And then we, we built a new machine, it was a heavier and with some Chinese companies. And uh, we went all the way in the north of China. Like it's like freezing there in, in the winter. They, they, they have never seen a coconut up there. And so we we're bringing container after container of coconuts to, to uh, the north of China, close to Korea, and uh, milling them, uh, putting them in our presses, and uh, and learning a lot. Uh, it, it was it wasn't easy, but it was fun. And, that is uh, great. How long have you been doing it for? Well, I came up with the concept when I thought, when I read the reports from the university, like uh, it's about six more six years ago. Wow. And then, then of course, uh, you start out like seeing like, hey, who wants to join this this project? Nobody, of course, because everybody <laughs> was saying it was not possible. Then I thought like, oh yeah, okay, well, let's do it alone then. And then uh, so um, you know, I worked a little bit harder with my other companies and made put some money aside and put some savings and then, but you know, this is like a very expensive hobby. You yes. building machines, uh, <laughs> traveling to China, uh, sourcing a container of coconuts, and then like every container of coconuts, it was like seven, eight thousand dollars to bring it to China. And, right. You know, it, it looks like money evaporates. It's just insane. Right. But you're and, doing a really, really good thing, and it kind of brings me to the next question because before we get into more about cocoa palette. I want to know about your experience in supply chain. Did you have any experience in supply chain before this venture? And what did your what did your journey look like leading up to Cocoa Pallet? Well, see, I started my career in, in the in the army. And if some people know about supply chain management and logistics, it's army people. Because uh, you have to get your logistics so well organized and then rugged because Everything falls apart, uh, everything goes wrong, uh, roads are bombed, planes fall down. So, and if you don't have a very good supply chain in the army, you know, you're never going to win that war. And so basically I learned there, okay, um, like bring uh, like a box from A to B in, in, in the United States or in Holland, you know, that's easy. But, um, to do these things in, in, in the jungle and, and, and Asia far away. And, uh, so, yeah, so it, it's, it's actually like all the things I've done before in my life uh, in the army, but also setting up a construction company in the Caribbean. See in, in the small islands in, 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 the, in the West Indies, everything has to be imported. They have no right. local building material production. So everything comes from Miami or from the Netherlands or from France and, so also, if you build a house there, you have to plan it so well ahead because you, maybe you can find locally some, some plywood and some nails, but if you have to find some, get something fancy like or like a different color of roof sheeting, you have to plan that months ahead just to get it in time. So it's a matter of financing, about uh, organizing, planning, uh, have a contingency plan if things go wrong and if, if a hurricane passes by. <laughs> so, yeah, so... I'm very grateful because I we had such hard times running a construction company there, uh, and but you learn so much faster. Also, I was stationed in the Gulf War. Well, you learn ten times faster in a war than in peacetime, uh, being in the army. And so, if you look back, like there were crazy times, but then 
that you learn so much faster than other people in the same amount of time. So in a way you're Absolutely. very blessed with these experiences. Yeah. And, and you can uh, find what you're, what you're really saying too, is that like, like supply chain professionals kind of tell everybody all the time is that supply chain is in everything you do every day. And just in that one story about the Caribbean, you've got supply chain strategy, you've got supply chain planning, you've got supply chain execution, and that's just on building a house in the Caribbean. So that's really, really, that's, that's a great way to put it. And it really puts it into context for, I think, most people. So yeah, but if you, look at, get, if you look at the context, sorry. then, for example, yeah. last week I was invited at Daimler, Daimler-Benz, their Mercedes factories. And... So I had five commi committees interviewing me about the use of cocoa pellet and uh, all the other coconut products in, in cars. And then I asked them yeah. like, mm, so how many components does an average car have? And he said, nah, about six, 7,000 parts. And I was like, whoa, wow. <laughs> that's complicated because we have <laughs> only, only one and that's the coconut husk because that, that, that's all we need. And I'm like, wow, that's, uh, so we think this is difficult, but these guys really have a hard time. Okay. They had like a hundred years to, to fine tune this and then come up with concepts and stuff and they're it's very well financed, but yeah, you, you have to put everything in, in perspective. Like, no, it's not easy, but okay. It's not rocket science. What we do. Yeah, no, exactly. So let's get back to Cocoa Palette. Uh, there's a number of different benefits for using Cocoa Palette. Why don't you tell us about those and what the impact is globally for us to go from wood pallets into, you know, cocoa pallets. Yeah, the so we, we started the pallet market, like, like, how does it work? And we are a great advocate for like a promoter of like reusable pallets. If you can use a reusable pallet, whether it's plastic or wood, and if it's used uh, hundreds of time, and uh, that's fantastic. But you know, for, for export, usually it doesn't work because these pallets never return. They leave the, the pallet pool. So that's what we focus on. So on the single use one way pallet, if it's from wood or uh, like the flimsy ones from wood, because for an export port pallet, it just, uh, it only matters. It's just, be, it must be strong enough and not more than that. Uh, compliant for export like ISPM 15. So free of harmful insects and cheap. So that's the only market we're focused on. And so what we do is we, we buy the waste from the farmer cooperatives in Indonesia, Philippines. Uh, otherwise, they burn these coconut husks. Because when the coconut f falls from the tree, they take the, the coconut out and they sell that to the factory. So this goes on a truck. And because the husk is like just has no value for them, and it's just a lot of extra transportation, so it's very inefficient. So they just put it on a heap and they burn it. And so we prevent the coconuts being burnt. Uh, we create value for the farmers. Then we make we uh, bring it to the factory. We mill them, we dry it, and we press it into our newly developed molds. And so we provide cheap pellets. They're cheaper than the wooden pellets. So you also prevent trees being cut and shipped to Asia for single-use pellets. So our message is like keep the trees in the forest in New Zealand or Canada, because Canada supplies a lot of wood to uh, to Asia. And or make like furniture from these uh, or houses from the, from the wood, and th th that's a smart way of using our resources and using uh, this this valuable wood for only a few weeks and then waste it. That's not that's not smart. 
And but the great thing is that these pellets are cheap, cheaper than the wood pellets. But when they arrive in 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 the Americas, for example, then you can just collect them, mill them to small pieces, and, and use a soil improver. It actually has like a, also a value, like a, like let's say four or five hundred dollars per ton. So the importers oh, wow. have like a circular product, uh, which brings them money instead of cost them money. Because if you have very flimsy wooden pellets, you know you cannot sell them. You're just happy if you can just give them away for, for nothing if somebody picks them up. But this is not always the case. So we uh, made so something that that's. Mean- Sorry, sorry to interrupt. Does that mean that they're biodegradable? Well, the thing is that we only use the coconut husk because the fiber and the glue is in the husk. And so we don't right. add any synthetic component or non-nails, nothing. It's fully bio-based, but also biodegradable. It's fully circular. And this was not the easiest way because it would have been much easier to add some synthetic components to, 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 to make the process faster or more predictable. Uh, but we are extremely stubborn, and we said that no, 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 we're not going to add anything. We're just going to keep it bio-based. <laughs> but the benefit yeah. is that at the end, when it is no no longer needed anymore, you can just it's it, it's it's fully biodegradable. And of course, you can use this fuel if you have like a charcoal. If you have like a power plant, you can just add it to the, the coals. But the most circular way is just to use this biomass for like improving the soil quality. And uh, and it has value because if I import coconuts for these agricultural purposes, it uh, will cost me like five hundred dollars. And the, the, so the so some people say like, okay, so you guys are shipping soil improver in the shape of, of export pellets. <laughs> well, that's not a way of, of putting it. <laughs> but there's like you can make money on on, on at the end. Uh, so we're focusing on the importers, like. We're not a- aiming to sell pellets in, in, in Europe or in the States, but we intend to sell our cocoa pellets there where there's a high export volume and a wood shortage. Right. So like that's okay, like that's in Asia or, or that's like in Mexico. We receive mills every day from Mexico or Colombia because, you know, they don't have that much wood, but they have a lot of export, like fruits, automotive parts. And so they think, oh, there we can have impact. And the impact that we what we will have is the the trees not being cut. So there's like every factory can save about five hundred thousand trees per year, and we want to build ten factories. Wow. Every factory can can provide like five million dollars extra value for the farmers because we really buy at the beginning of the value chain, and we we set up a system to work with the cooperatives. So this is a lot of money for farmers, if you, if you look at it. It's like an additional income. Absolutely. And I might have a contact for you out in Panama, but we can we can take that offline. Um, but you mentioned circular quite a few times. So I guess my question to you is, why are your operations considered part of the circular economy? Is it because you're taking waste turning them into pallets, the pallets are then being shipped and then putting being put back into the soil. Is that right? Yes, but to be honest, I never heard of the word circular like until like three years ago. So the whole company was set up in a completely circular way with no waste uh, and solving several problems at the same time. And then people were telling us, wow, this is like a circular company. And we're like, 
okay, if you say so. And then we went looking into it and that, wow, indeed, you're right. So, so now we said, okay, we're a circular company. And the beauty of the circular economy is that there's no waste. And some people say like, oh, it's like right. the same, like it's cradle to cradle. Um, but it goes like one step further. And the great thing of what I like about the circular economy is that you never solve one problem, but you solve, solve several problems at the same time. So we take this waste stream that's being bur- usually burned, and we make an alternative for wood. So there's two problems. And we, this, because it's not burned, the, we have cleaner air, less air pollution. And the farmers are less poor because we provide them extra income. And at the end, the, um, the importers have two benefits. Well, two benefits. The whole CO2 uh, impact goes down of the whole value chain. There's a value by selling the pellets as biomass. But also, because our pellets are not ISPM 15 compliant, but extent. So if, with the right documents, you can show like, okay, we have no wood in these uh, containers. Right. But if, like, in, like for Amsterdam, if I import um, products from China, I have a 50% chance that I get like uh, a red dot on my container. And uh, then they, held, they keep it for three, four days. And that can be inspected. So I have to pay extra charge and I have like three, four days delay. And mm-hmm. if they find uh, a harmful insect, it has to be treated, extra cost. So, so the importer has uh, saves a few days, or, uh, does, have, does not have to pay these extra fees. And so there's an, also a big bonus for the, uh, the receiving party. See, but the receiving party doesn't buy the pellets that the, the supplier in Asia does it. So if for example, like a big importer from Canada tells their suppliers like, Hey, I like you to use a cocoa pellet instead of a wooden pellet. See if it works for you guys. If the, the strength is good enough, if it's like, uh, if technical feasible, and it will save you a few dollars per pellet. And then it's like the supplier in China says like, wow, that's a good idea. Uh, I like to save, Two three dollars per pellet times hundred thousand pellets, and that's extra profit. And then right. the receiver thinks like, okay, I save some time, and I can sell the biomass afterwards. So, yeah. and they can it, save it, some money, and and all around, you're you're fixing a lot of problems in supply chain. <laughs> well, of, of, I love of course, it. This, this is this is the theory, and of course, like in, in theory, practice and theory are the same. But in practice, they're not. So now we're doing right. like a practical test. So with the, the test pellets that we're making right now, we're testing with big companies. We tell them like, okay, we commit providing data and the pellet. You commit by picking them up by air freight and testing them in your supply chain. And then we're going to learn from A to B from one continent to the other continent. Is it strong right. enough? What do the people say? Because you can never look at one point of the supply chain. You have to look at the whole supply chain from the beginning to the end. Does it make mm-hmm. sense? Is it like a technical? Is it is it a good solution for all of us? If not, maybe we should like better use another product, or we have to improve or or change or alter or our product. Right. See, we did a lot of research, so we we uh, interviewed about two three hundred customers, mainly in Asia. So what do you use? What's the sizes? What are the prices? Where do you buy? What's important? What's the problems you face? Because we thought like we could make a fantastic product, but 
if nobody is waiting for it, it's it's silly. So we thought like let's ask what they are using and what solves the problem and and really develop that. So that's uh, that's what we did. So we focus on the on the, the export sizes like that fit in the container. They're a bit different than the Euro pallet size. Like the Euro pallet is like one twenty by by eighty, and that's a not very efficient size for a container because you have a lot of empty floor space. So that's not something we will start with. Well, and you bring up a good point because I'm sure some of the listeners are listening and they're thinking about coconut husks and how do you turn that into a pallet and what kinds of products can you actually ship on a pallet like this? So tell us a little bit about that. Can, can it hold the weight? What kind of weight can it hold? Can you ship anything on a cocoa pallet? What does that look like? Well, or, or cocoa pallet is not a silver bullet. And, and <laughs> it, it doesn't solve all pallet needs. But see, we focus on the, on the 1.7 billion pallets one way from Asia. And so if we say like we set apart 400 million uh, pallets that are like you, where people put boxes on, like boxing of textiles, electronics, everything in boxes. Because if it's in boxes, the, the weight is very well distributed over the, the whole surface. And the um, these, these, these pallets are not put outside in the rain. See... If people put stones or concrete and all these things on it, it's too heavy and they put it outside in the, in the yard. And we focus, of course, our pallet is biodegradable. So if it starts getting really wet, it starts to biodegrade. So we focus on things that are exported dry. And these are a lot okay. of things. Uh, so they are loaded dry in a container, shipped, and they're unloaded in a dry way. And then you can dispose the pallets. And so okay. it's just a help to, to load and unload uh, fast. And also if you export fruits to, to have like air circulation through the pallet and around the pallet between the legs. Uh, so this is what we focus on. Things that are transported dry and preferably yeah, in and, boxes. Yeah, and also in full container loads. Because I'm guessing with less than container load, um, you can run into some issues when they're being transloaded, maybe from the truck to the to the warehouse or the warehouse to the container that they could be left out. I mean, you don't you don't want them to be left outside, but you know sometimes if it's raining, things happen. Um, yeah, well, so people that, that, have to be point. a little bit cognizant about that. Yeah, LCLs. You know, it's it's still a lot, but we focus on on like. The- the big exports, like the, yeah. the heavy users, let's say, that use like that more than 200,000 200, pallets a year. Yeah. And so we can also quantify for them, okay, you use 200,000 pallets, and this is like, compared with the current wood prices, this is like uh, $2.5 saving per pallet. It's like right. half a million dollars. And people think, whoa, half a million dollars, that's a lot of money. <laughs> and your carbon footprint reduction is so many tons. And that's, of course, like a totally abstract figure. So we'll tell them like, Okay, that is so many trees that you saved this year. And I'm yeah. thinking, oh, I like data. We are very data driven. Okay, good. And so we like to communicate what's the impact of you, the choice you will make or you made compared with like plastic or wooden pallets. And uh, does mm-hmm. it make sense to you? Because it could also turn out like, well, it doesn't make sense for you guys because, uh, because we have to do an LCA, like life cycle analysis from 
the, 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 the energy we need, the, the logistics, etc. Mm -hmm. And that's also why we don't want to sell in Europe because then we have to ship them to Europe, extra costs, extra CO2. Mm -hmm. And we want to always be competitive. So we only sell there where we're competitive. We don't, we don't want to be like a greenwashing gimmick for companies in Europe to that they say like, oh, we're using cockapelt, we are so green, we are so nice. So, no. <laughs> uh, we don't play that game. Okay, well, and it's definitely something that you can strive for, right? As you grow as a company and, and you start looking at different ways to help the shipping industry and the supply chain and things like that, um, you might go into the LCL and who knows, everybody might start using cocoa pallets, which, which would be the goal, I think. Well, there are enough cocoa, uh, coconut husk being burned every year. So we can build 10 factories, make 50 million pounds a year easily. Wow. Uh, but we will also have companies come to us like, Hey, can you also make this that? And if the volume is high enough and technically we can press it, mm -hmm. we can look at that and do like a co-development. I like the and, flexibility. Uh, yeah. See, that's what we love to do. Mm -hmm. uh, and collaboration. Up, well, th that's the essence of our company. We yeah. work with uh, German universities, uh, tech research uh, companies, uh, love Asian companies, with, with farmers, with, with uh, coconut uh, organizations. And uh, that's, that's what we en enjoy the most. Great. And so if, you, if people come to us like, oh, we have a problem. And we say, oh, we love problems, um, business problems and uh, not private problems. And, <laughs> and, then, and, we, and then we say, like, let's, let's see how we can solve this. What have you done? What worked? What didn't work? And uh, come up with a solution. Because if the problem is worth solving, you might be onto something. Right. Absolutely. So where can companies just go and purchase the pallets or how, how does that they work have to right wait, now? They have, they have to wait a little because we closed down our small factory mm -hmm. because, you know, every pallet we made there costed me a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And now we're building a very big plant in the Philippines and it will produce eventually like 5 million pallets a year, but not like we would do this in phases. We, so we built, we put in clusters of machines and we, Add clusters until the factories are up to full, full capacity, and when this is up and running, we'll start to multiply this concept in the whole of Asia, and hopefully also going to uh, Mexico, Colombia, Brazil, where there's also a lot of coconuts. So we have to be there where there's where the coconuts, when we're, when the transportation to our customers is is uh, cost efficient. For example, if we sell in Japan, but we produce in the Philippines, it's very well, the, the costs are very low because the container from Japan to the Philippines is like, let's say $1,000, but going back is maybe $100 because mostly that is empty. It's empty, yeah. So we always look at the, the disbalanced uh, trade routes and where we can get the cheap containers. Mm -hmm. So some places like Art. Fiji are like amazing for a lot of coconuts, but the container shipping will be very expensive. Right. So that's like phase two. After we understand making pellets very quite well, we part of our team will start making uh, like low cost, sustainable building materials on, on islands like that. See, I used to serve in the in the in the army and together with the Fiji battalion, and I promised the Fijians, my friends, that I would come to Fiji and help them with setting up a factory there. 
Oh, great. And, uh, so I have all these fantastic excuses to go to beautiful places with coconuts and uh, work with the people there. And so this is something I really look forward to. It sounds amazing. I can't wait for that to happen. What's your projection projected date maybe on that first? Well, in, in the course of the, the second half of next year, we'll open the first factory and uh, we'll scale that in the year after that. And so we will start building more factories like 2021, uh, 22. So there will be... If I'm looking in, in uh, four or five years' time, there will be at least five factories up and running and produ- producing pallets, mainly in Asia. And see, I'm, I'm a, I like to start things. So I will be part of those five years. And then I will split off with a, like a team of, of designers and product developers to make like other solutions. And uh, see... The great thing about Cockapelt, because it's a sustainable circular, it attracts a special kind of people, like talents, but really like motivated people that think that I just don't want a job, I want to have meaning, I want to have uh, purpose. And it's, it's all about team. Well, that's one of the many things you learn in the army. It's all about team. And great. Uh, with, with the right people, we can, we can do magic. So the future looks bright for Cocoa Palette. You're talking about opening up factories, different things like that. Um, so I'm not sure if I need to ask what's next because you've kind of really painted that picture for us. If you have anything else to add, let me know and let the listeners know. But I think they're, they're probably also wondering how they can get involved. Well, they can also look at the website and send like a message through. Uh, we, we receive many ma- mails via website every day. So we're not selling it right now, but next year we will. And especially with companies that have a high volume pellets and, and we can do the trials with them. And if they like, they have like, um, how would you say, like if you go to uh, the cinema, you have like first rate seating, uh, how would you say that? They're the first ones that can buy uh, if you're involved in the process early. Um, oh, got you. Okay. Yes. So it's kind of like a first come first serve. Yeah. Like first class seats. <laughs> yeah. If, uh, so, and, so um, if people say like, yeah. Sorry. If people want what, it, uh, so for them to be able to, um, be one of the first ones on the list to per- potentially work with you and purchase some cocoa pallets, then they need to go to your website. What if people want to get involved with they love your story they love you what if they want to get involved with the company maybe financially or maybe putting in some time to really give back to give sort of as a a giving back type thing can are you accepting that how how can people get involved that way yeah basically everybody who everybody who uh contacts us through the website we we uh, we respond to them and uh, if people want to invest, well, we're doing our first investment round ever because I've paid everything myself the last five, six years. And uh, so we're open for business now. And we're going to, but we really want to talk with investors that really want to scale with us. Right. And the, me- the message to investors is like most investors want to be in the, the building of the second and third and the fourth and fifth factory when everything is proven, everything is, is secure. Mm-hmm. But my message is to investors. 
we're going to have big impact. We are we can be very profitable because we have a good margin and high volumes. But if you want to be part of the scale up, this is the time to get up. This is the entry ticket for the scale up is participating right at this moment. And so in, in a month time, we will uh, um, look at who we're going to work with and who are the ones that we can really scale with us. And also, who are the ones we like a lot? Yes. No, that's we, very this important. is like, a, this is kind of marriage, you know, you, you uh, yeah. there's no guarantee, but you, you want to work with people that you think like, okay, yes, we like them. And these are the people we can solve problems with. Like a good relation is not a relation without problems, but one that is able and willing to solve problems together. And that's what we look for. Absolutely. And, yeah. Where can people find your website? Is it cocopallet.com? Yeah, cocopallet.com. It's it's so easy to find. It's uh, yeah. Great. Well, on the Coco Palette website, there is a saying, he who plants a coconut tree plants food and drink, vessels and clothing, a home for himself and a heritage for his children. And now an opportunity to, to start reducing waste in our supply chains. I encourage everyone listening to get behind this company and help make it happen because it will only encourage others to step up with innovative, sustainable solutions. For more information about Michael, Coco Palette, and show notes for this episode, please visit letstalksupplychain.com forward slash season two dash episode 73. Thank you so much, Michael, for coming on the show and for what you are doing for our planet and for our supply chains. Thank you for having me. And it's a great joy to do this. It's, it's so much fun. This episode was produced in collaboration with Border Buddy, the most innovative online customs platform out there. And here is what Graham, the founder, has to say. How long does it take you to get a duty rate or guidance on the right HS classification from your current customs broker? With Border Buddy's new revolutionary self-service technology, you will never go traditional again. We have created a platform that allows you to get instant quotes on duties, taxes, and customs fees to import your products into North America. To get 10% off your first clearance, sign up at borderbuddy.com forward slash let's talk supply chain. If you like this episode, be sure to check out episode three of the Trade Squad on YouTube. Jess Vanya from Malaysia is our guest and we talk all about circular supply chain topic. I believe that's either out this week or next week, so stay tuned. Next week on the show, Graham Robbins, our industry resident expert, is back. Plus... I've got some exciting news because Audrey Ross, my co-host of The Trade Squad, is here to be my guest host on Let's Talk Supply Chain. So you're not going to want to miss that because it is customs broker versus shipper and they've got a lot to talk about. To help support the show, go and rate and review the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, so other people can find the show, and I'd love to hear from you and feature your review on an upcoming episode. And next, go to letstalksupplychain.com and go to shop. I have a ton of different things in there, like the Supply Chain Dictionary, which is 107 pages full of acronyms and definitions you will need to succeed in supply chain. And if you like some of my quotes, like, life is lived forward and understood backwards, 
And don't quit your daydream. Love more, talk less. I now have some shirts available with those quotes up on the website. And next, go to ships.com. That's S-H-I-P-Z.com. Fill in your information because we are almost ready to launch and you're going to be one of the first people to know about what we're building. Next, follow us. Follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Plus, subscribe to the YouTube channel because every single Friday, I've got a new video coming out and you're not going to want to miss some of that content because I am talking to some amazing people. I've got video series up there, the trade squad up there, and it's called the SC Supply Chain TV. So don't miss out on any of that content. Thank you so much for all of your support. Have an amazing day. And remember, everybody, ship happens.